This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 19 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you can hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world through the stand they take on issues facing our world today, and who facilitate making a difference in the communities around them. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. From personal spiritual growth to inspiration that impacts the community, you'll be opened up to the awesome possibilities. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. So my guest today is Connie Goodbread. She is part of the UUA staff and serving the Southern Region on the Congregational Life Staff team. She has co-authored an emerging congregation process called The Chrysalis Way and also co-authored Your Faith Home, a new UUA pamphlet, and we have a link to that in the show notes. So you're going to hear a lot about her passion for UUism, and she loves to talk about that. So we took the usual question I ask at the end for all our guests and posed it towards the beginning so that she could talk passionately about what she loves. So let's get to it. And here is Connie. Welcome, Connie, and I really appreciate you being here. And I've just let everyone know a little bit uh, about you, but I'd like you to take a moment and tell us about who you are and what your involvement in the UU community is. Great. Thank you, Sharon. It's delight. I'm, I'm really delighted to be here. Um, well, I've been a Unitarian Universal since 1978. Um, my first date with my husband was to a Unitarian Universalist church, uh, which is odd, but, um, but it was a blast. And when he asked me out on the date, he, I, I had a, I'm sure that I had an odd look on my face because we were going to go to church. And, and he said, no, it's cool. You'll like it. And it was cool, and I liked it. Uh, and uh, so we've been involved ever since. Now, he was a Unitarian Universalist when I met him. So, uh, so he was very uh, gung ho about us trying to find uh, a congregation that we liked, and we did. And I shortly after that became the director of religious education. Wow, you jumped right in. <laughs> yeah, jumped right in. That's right. And um, and served that congregation for ten years, and then served another congregation for another seven as their director of religious education. I got credentialed. Um, as a religious educator, but I think the reason that I was eventually hired to be UUA staff was because of the work that I did first with a, a very brief period of time with uh, the rabbi Ed Friedman on systems thinking and how you apply that to to uh, congregations, and then for almost 12 years with Peter Steinke. And I think that that's really that interest and my love of Unitarian Universalism uh, really sort of pushed me into looking for a job on the UA staff and as field staff. And right now, I have served in several different capacities as both program consultant and district executive 
but right now those jobs have all changed in, in our region, and I am congregationalized staff with the association, and I work in the southern region. Okay. And uh, so what's that involved now being part of uh, Congregational Life Staff? Oh, my gosh. Okay. What does it involve? Well, we work directly with the congregations uh, on a lot of different levels. Uh, My specialty is conflict, and I think of it as a time of transformation, not necessarily a time of mere tragedy, although sometimes it is kind of tragic. but. but I really see it as an opportunity for naming what we learn, what we've learned through what we've just been through, and then to uh, design or help to redesign the system so that it does, it supports different behavior rather than the behavior that has been uh, going on. I also, my other expertise is leadership development. So in the southern region, uh, I'm, I'm helping to put on the leadership offerings that we're doing, like Dwight Brown Leadership Experience and um, the Southern Unitarian Universalist Leadership Experience that happens at the mountains, and those both happen in August. We also do things like President's Convocations, which is networking uh, with congregational presidents, workshops with them. and But then we do, you know, a lot of what happens on congregational life staff is triage work. <laughs> Uh, you know, you'll get emails or a phone call from a congregation with one need or another. I mean, and they can be pretty minimal needs, like uh, where on the UUA website would I find uh, information about transition? So it can be just answering that kind of question, or it can be, you know, our minister has just turned in her uh, her resignation and we're all pretty much in a panic. What do we do? So, you know, it, it, it entails a number of things. The other thing is that there's always stuff around faith development for, you know, because faith development is like lifespan, and so there's always stuff around that. But it's mostly working directly with congregations in one capacity or another. What has been the biggest challenges you found working with the congregations? Well, for myself or for, for them, um, I think that 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 conflict is always a difficult time for for any group. And what I see is that an awful lot of what happens in Unitarian Universal congregations really comes back to trust and whether or not we we specifically are trusting people. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So um, we have a tendency to want to, like, I mean, we're just human, so we have a tendency to want to find people or groups to blame when something goes wrong. So let's just take a, 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 like, a minister is having some struggles. The minister calls and says, oh, my gosh, you know, the board and I are fighting over whether or not we can have two worship services, whatever the site is. And it brings out in us uh, the kinds of, of mistrust around power and authority that we've struggled with since, you know, we left England as the Puritans and came to America with a great deal of mistrust around the king, with good reason. But what happens is that that mistrust kind of got embedded in who we are as a people. And so what we do is we want to we blame 
one person or one group for what is actually a systemic issue. And so the question ends up being, well, why do you, how many times have you found yourself in this position before? Is this a pattern? Um, what might you do differently to make sure that this doesn't happen again? What are the, what are the symptoms that you've witnessed, uh, the triggers around when this begins to happen? Because uh, a lot of times what you find is that it's actually a growth issue in one capacity or another. It's either that we used to be 107 people and now we're two, almost 200 people, and it's time that some of those people would go away. And so what we do is we end up in a fight that brings us back down to the sort of uh, the, the size that we're kind of comfortable with, and that would be we're tribal. People are tribal, and so about 80 people is about all we can know. And so we end up pushing people away because it, it, it overwhelms the system and it overwhelms us individually. And so a lot of times when we get into a, a conflict around whether or not to have a minister and or whether our leaders are leading us in the way we want to be led, it's really a size issue. And it comes back to the basic idea around trust. So one of the questions to ask congregations is, and I always put it in in the, in the sort of the framework that it's systemic. It's not just your congregation. You are a Unitarian Universalist congregation. And so, in general, as Unitarian Universalists, a trusting people. And that isn't to say are we individually trusting people, because people will say, well, I'm a trusting person. Um, right. But then you get into a culture, a system that has been founded on suspicion of power and authority. And so we, we find ourselves in the middle of a battle wanting to blame, wanting a quick fix because it's painful and and finding ourselves blaming the board, the minister, the DRE, the music director, uh, the administrator, someone that we see uh, in a position of, of power and authority that we're struggling with, uh, and and really it comes back to much more basic things than that. So the biggest challenge is to get congregations, because we're also conflict avoid. So you'll go in and the congregation will, will not, will say, oh, we're so happy. We're just like a wonderful family. It's just also warm and nice here. And then you start hearing the rumblings that, that uh, no, things are not exactly as lovely as they might be, and while we may be very much like a family, we may not be operating as a high-functioning family. And so the challenge then gets to be, how do we get to a place where we can talk, uh, talk about the issues in a way that, that we can actually hear what the issues are, we can actually deeply listen to one another, hear what the, come to where, where the issues actually lie and then begin to name what we've learned from our experience. So I guess the biggest challenge is, is often in conflict. It's also the greatest opportunity for, for transformation. Sure. And is it challenging, too, to get the members to speak up and communicate what is going on? Well, yeah, because you have to create a you have to go in and create a safe space first. So, and that that means that we've got to bring people into the depth of Unitarian Universalism. So, what's at our heart 
is, you know, there are sort of three pillars to Unitarian Universalism, and the first pillar is that we're covenantal, not a creedal faith. And often we, you know, have people who struggle with that word, the concept of covenant, and it, and they might be struggling with it because of um, their relationship with that word in another faith. So because we tend to be a denomination or an association with people who have found us rather than people who were born to us, uh, we often bring with us as we come into Unitarian Universalism uh, understandings or and, and often immature understandings of, of these concepts from the faith that we were part of as a child. And so covenant is at the heart of who we are, and so it has to be that any conflict work that you're going to do comes brings it into covenant. And so covenant is the creation of a safe space where we recognize the holy in one another. We recognize, I recognize the, the holy in you, you recognize the holy in me. We also, we also agree to make mistakes together, but to stay at the table. And so the Martin, uh, the, the Gruber um, quote, we are a coven, covenant-making, covenant-breaking, covenant-remaking people comes to mind because that's the whole point. It's not that you, make, you, you write a covenant and then everything's fixed. You write a covenant, and then you practice covenant. And with enough practice, you'll get good at it. And then you enter into an adventure where mistakes will be made, but great learnings will, will happen, and, and great change will be brought about. And so, in any conflict work, you've got to you've got to enter into the to the work in covenant with with the people. So that would also mean, though, that there has to be pre work. So if a congregation calls and they're in, in some pretty heavy conflict, what they want is for you to come in and fix it. Please, somebody come in here and just fix this, you know. And what they have to hear from anyone who's really going to be helpful is that no one from the outside can fix it. It has to, the, the people who are involved in the conflict have to fix it themselves. So people from the outside can come in and facilitate the discussion by which the congregation will find its path, name its learnings, and move forward. But nobody from the outside can fix it. So it's a long process when you when you enter into a relationship with a congregation that's in conflict. And it sounds like, too, it's part of learning how then to make mistakes together and resolving those and in, in learning how to be, you know, their best selves through that and working together. Exactly. So the creation of the conflict, and I, I have to tell you, I, I worked with a congregation just recently that, that wrote into the, the covenants that we designed, that they were gonna they were gonna look at their issues and their mistakes with humility, curiosity, and humor. And if we could just uh, you know, I've told them I am you know, telling everybody this. This is brilliant. If if we could just practice that. Humility, curiosity, and humor will get us further with one another than anything else. You know, we, we tend to dig our heels in and, and feel like uh, 
you know, we're not going to get used or we're not going to get pushed around or, or nobody's going to, by God, tell us what to do, you know. And and uh, if we could just tweak our mindset just a little bit to, to come into that we probably don't have all the answers and there are other brains in the room besides ours, so that would be humility. And that's fascinating where other people are coming from and, and what it is they're seeing. And if we could just share that deeply without fear, curiosity, and then humor that, you know, because the minute anxiety shows up in the room, all humor leaves. Uh, you know, it's like, no, this isn't funny. No, this is actually pretty funny. You know, so, so yeah, I think it was, I think that, that their particular work, that, that the work that this congreg- congregation did was particularly uh, poignant. And um, so I love those three those three concepts, working in covenant. Yeah, those are great. Probably a lot of congregations could use those three and and get quite far with those. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. I'm going to switch up a bit and to get us on to another conversation here, I'm actually going to take the question I usually ask at the end and ask it now because I I think will fit very well with what you enjoy talking about. And the question is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Great. Well, I, so the, the first thing that I, that I mentioned was we have three pillars, and I've already talked about covenant. So we are a covenantal, not a creedal faith. That is different. Now, it's a little bit like Judaism, because Judaism is also a covenantal faith. Um, uh, and we could say that, that we have some things in common with a lot of different religions, but if you put all together what it is to be a Unitarian Universalist, you see how uniquely we are positioned. So the first thing is covenant. We're covenantal, so that means how we do what we do makes all the difference. So how we go about making change in the world, being together with one another, how we treat all people. And so that means covenant, we'll write a covenant with our congregation and practice it in our churches so that we can carry it out into the, into the rest of the world. So covenant has to be an agreement on how we will be everywhere, with everyone. So not just with the people in our congregations where it should actually be fairly easy, which sometimes it's not, but it should be, but also out in the world where people do not agree with us. So how do we treat the person? And I'm not saying that any, that this is easy, any easier for me than it is for anybody else, but how do we treat the person with whom we disagree so strongly uh, that it that it makes us uncomfortable. So how do we how do we approach different political points of view, different religious points of view, and and hold in our hearts the deepest love we possibly can for that individual person? So that's that's really being in covenant. So the first pillar of Unitarian Universalism is that we are covenantal, not a creedal faith. The second pillar is that we are a pluralistic faith, not a fundamentalist faith. So for us, all paths to the truth, all paths that lead you to a good heart, all paths that 
love the world and love creation are good and true. We aren't the people of the one path. We're the people of the many paths. And so we, we, we could just appeal to so many different points of view, so many religious uh, points of view, and, and, and tend to be, a, we tend, though, to, to fall back into some of our fears around religion in general and, of course, around power and authority. But it's really important that we, that we maintain our pluralism, and it makes us different. Now, you know, somebody could say, well, that's a little bit like Hindus have a lot of pluralism in, in, in their faith. Yes, uh, but you put covenant and pluralism together, and, and again, we're just a, a little bit different. Um, and then the second, the third thing is that we're a living tradition. Um, I definitely say we're alive, not dead. But um, what that actually means is that that we are the people who believe that revelation is open and continuous. And that is a James Luther Adams. Uh, that's one of his five smooth stones of religious, uh, religious liberal religion. But we believe that, that revelation is open and continuous. So that all human beings have not only the, the, they have both the right and the responsibility to have a relationship with the divine, the holy, the creation, whatever word, God, whatever word it is that you're comfortable with. And that at any moment, any of us could be touched by the divine with some sort of a brilliant idea, a brilliant insight. And, and therefore, all human beings are capable of having this insight and should be and should be considered the holy children that they are. And and so we are we like to believe that we're the people of change so because we're a living tradition. Um, sometimes the the change that we that we tend to be most comfortable with is technical change. <laughs> um, so if you can buy a new computer program, that's really cool. But um, what we have to focus on is that it's also emotional and, and relational change that we have to be able to, to uh, do and be adept at. So if you combine those three things, that's a pretty amazing spiritual discipline. And we don't tend to talk about ourselves in those terms, but that's what we are. Uh, and if you go to, like, the study Faith, Faith Formation 2020, which was done by the Catholic Church about what congregations will look like in the year 2020, and you look at their trends, you'll see that people are wanting, uh, people are more spiritual and less religious. Uh, uh, there are an awful lot of non-church young people. Uh, you know, there's all of these, these people like people, and these young people want there to be more technology in, in congregations. However, they want deep relationships. So, so, you know, which is, seems like an odd combination, but, but just think about that. Uh, congregations are tending to want to get bigger 
well, okay, so numerically bigger, but you have to then also focus on the small. So small group ministry where, where people develop deep relationships with, uh, with one another, but also with the concept that this, that this is a intense year, we will do this for a year, and then we'll mix it up again and we'll make more friends. Uh, this this becomes really vitally important, and so if you think about that, uh, an awful lot of the, of the of the studies that come out from the Search Institute, the Pew uh, Foundation, the Faith uh, Formation 2020 has has information in it that is like, whoa, they're like describing Unitarian Universalism. If in fact we can learn to talk about it deeply, so we have to give it away. We have to stand on the street corners, you know, and uh, and give it away. Well, and isn't that um, the the entrepreneurial ministry that program is out there to kind of recreate how we work with people because we don't have that connectedness where people are wanting to come into the churches anymore. How are we reaching out? And that's what that's about, right? Yes, and there's lots of there's lots of really interesting um, experiments going on there's, in San Francisco. There's um, all kinds of sort of street ministry, which is again kind of what Peter Morales was talking about when he said congregations and beyond. He didn't mean congregations were a vital part of this, and the definition of congregation may change. Um, you know, Rick Warren didn't have a building until he had 15,000 members. So buildings are not the congregation. And we get, an awful lot of times we get the building kind of becomes an idol. Uh, we, we exist to take care of the building. Where it really ought to be that we, we exist to build a better world. And so that has, that can happen inside of the, the building itself, but the congregation is the people. If I say church, you think of the building. If I say congregation, you think of the people. And so people can be, don't have to be inside of a building in order to be a congregation. So congregations and beyond didn't mean that we would ever neglect uh, the amazing congregations that are sitting in our building. But it just means that, that the world needs vibrant Unitarian Universalism. The world needs it. And and because, uh, not because of the brand Unitarian Universalism, but because of what it, what, what is the values that are at the heart of the faith. So more love, more hope, more justice, more wisdom, more joy. These are the these are the things that that Unitarian Universalism stands for, and so the world needs that. And and so, congregations and beyond is yes, in congregations, yes, 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 and beyond congregations, yes, 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 more love, more hope, more justice in the world. And it's extending, uh, like you're saying, it's the congregations, but it's extending outside into the world, your your congregation may be small and it may be shrinking, but it's not shrinking in the sense of you can be out in the world and people still can be a part of UUism 
with you out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you, small congregations, you know, the majority of our congregations are small. And they can have a huge impact. Uh, you know, so at, J, at General Assembly, we got the news that the Supreme Court upheld the rights of gay and lesbian people to get marriage licenses. And, and it, we were reminded that it took, that the first time the Unitarians stood up for this was in 1936. We're talking almost 100 years of work. And so, so small congregations, I mean, we, none of us ever know the impact of, of good work, all or bad, has on the people around us. And so change is inevitable. What kind of change would we like to see? And how do we work for it? And, and you're really dropping pebbles in the pond. Uh, so it can't be that, that we get discouraged by the fact that, that, the, that the change doesn't happen immediately because it's not going to. Uh, but uh, we, we, as a fairly, as a very small association of congregations, have had a huge impact on the world. What would it be like if we were larger? I think about Steve Dick and the International Council of Unitarian and Universalists, and we have them over in Europe. And are we also working together with everyone around the world in that way and being inclusive where we're getting things done, you know, everywhere? And because it sometimes seems like here we are, UUA and in, in the Unitarian Universalists in the United States, but are we still, you know, working with everyone in Europe, too. Well, you know, there are, yeah, there are congregations all over the world. You know, there's congregations in Africa, uh, congregations in the Philippines. There's a very large uh, population in, in India. And, and yeah, uh, you know, I, I know that I, I don't work necessarily in that work with those people, but I know that there is contact from the association with, with all Unitarians. Peter Morales has been just about everywhere. Um, and they have their own, uh, you know, Canada broke away from the, from the American Association several years ago, and uh, we have uh, a great relationship. Uh, there's a congregation in Mexico City. Um, there are congregations in the Virgin Islands. So I know that we, that we do do that work, but of course... It, it, ha it can only be as great a work as we can afford to do. And so, so it has to be that, that congregations that find themselves in places of, of uh, luck, you know, privilege, luck, to be flush, to be, to be large enough, to have enough, has to be the congregations that focus on spreading that generosity uh, into the association and then out into, and, and of course out into the world. And, and so we are only limited by our vision and our, our money, our capacity to do the work. So yeah, I think that we, we actually, we absolutely do reach out into those other countries, those other, those other um, Unitarian Universalist cultures uh, as, as, in, in really vibrant and great ways. And, you know, it could be built up, probably. What do you think right now is the biggest thing we're working on as far as 
whether it's climate justice or social justice, what's in the forefront right now? I think the two things are climate justice and, and the Black, Black Lives Matter piece. You know, there's, we've, got a, we've, we've done some really good work in gay rights, uh, although, you know, we're going to experience the backlash. And we'll have to stay with this because we can't let it slip, uh, you know, because now, now this, there are states that are doing all kinds of things to block the decision. But we'll have to do that. And I, and I think climate is just huge. So we've got sort of, there are kind of four things that we end up focused on over and over again, women's rights, gay, lesbian rights, gay, lesbian, and transgender rights. Um, climate change, and and then we we have an urgency right now around the Black Lives Matter piece uh, because we find ourselves with a, an opportunity to do some really amazing uh, work around that kind of that justice piece, and so it, it, and it has just played out that way. So it's good to be nimble enough as an association and flexible enough to say, oh my God, look, this is this is coming. This is reaching a tipping point, which I think it probably is. And so it would be good for us to leverage our energy around creating uh, some really vital and uh, much-needed good change around that. And so I think, I think those are the four things that, that are always on our, on our radar. And then, of course, immigration is a big deal and how, and how we treat people who come to this country. Um, and gun control. So, you know, those are the things that we really find ourselves talking about over and over again. And, and I think, but I do think that, that we are nimble enough to be able to leverage our influence uh, when, when something urgent happens, which around the, uh, the shootings in, in Charleston and the burning of the black churches and uh, all of this stuff that's been going on with the police, we find ourselves at a moment where it would be important for us to focus in on the rights of, because it's all crimes against humanity, and they're just wrong, you know. So, so for us to be able to focus in on that is, is brilliant and wonderful. Um, how can people get involved in these different causes in that, in, in as far as being involved, whether it's petitions or marching, what, what opportunities do people have? Well, we have to be careful not to just go someplace. Um, it, you know, <laughs> one of the things that we've learned, uh, particularly I, since I serve in the southern region, and, you know, we've dealt with hurricane after hurricane and, and of course, the horrible shooting in Knoxville and, uh, and, the, and, the, and, and the kinds of tragedies that there were to, a tornado that whipped through Tuscaloosa. Um, so the kinds of things that 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 uh, had uh, there were horrible fires in Texas for two, three years in a row. Just you know, the entire state was on fire. Awful things that we've been dealing with. Uh, we've there are things that we've learned, and 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 one of them is you don't just go where the tragedy is, but that's what you feel like you want to do. You know, you want to get up and just go, and what happens is you get there, and you may or may not be useful, and so you don't want to become a burden on a system that's already in pain, and so uh, the, if you go onto the UUA website, there's always 
things that you can contribute to, uh, always uh, ways that you can get involved. Congregations can uh, do uh, share the plate. Uh, there's, there's always things that are written very well so that if a congregation wanted to just stand up and read something about it, they could do that. So there's always ways to get involved, and the association has partners in in each, you know, the Red Cross, of Planned Parenthood, you know, uh, all of the all of the folks that are on the ground doing the work. Depending upon what the tragedy is, the association has relationships with and can tell you what's actually needed, what the people on the uh, on the ground are needing. And what we, the other thing that we've got to remember is when tragedy strikes, there's rings of of, uh, of depth of tragedy. So, so the first, the deepest, is, are the people who were directly involved in the tragedy and their families. So those people need ministering to. Those people need to tell us what they need. And, and if we just rush in, I have a, a friend who, one of my colleagues, Maggie Levin, uh, t- was in the military, and she talks about there's a story in the military where the generals and colonels and lieutenants were asking for more supplies, and what they were getting was tanks. And they couldn't use the tanks. But that was what the surplus was, and so they just kept getting tanks. So we have to be sure that we're not sending in things that the people that actually need to be helped can't use. And so the first ring of... of of tragedy, the first ring of, of concern that we need to have is around the people who are actually directly affected by whatever it was that happened. And then the second ring is the community that supports those people. And then the third ring is the community that supports the community that supports those people. And so we have to recognize that we're pretty far out. And we may be having very deep feelings about what has happened, but we are not directly affected by this tragedy. And so we have to be extremely careful. And again, we come back to covenant. If we are in covenant with the world, we don't rush in and just give what we have. We figure out what we have that is useful to the people. We listen to what they tell us they need. And then we do our best. And sometimes we won't have what they so it's a good thing then to, like the Red Cross might have it too, you might give some money and it would go to the Red Cross to, to get them what they needed. Okay. All right. Can you give us, uh, say, a quote that is inspiring to you for us? Oh, sure. Uh, well, so uh, when I first came on staff, Susan Smith, Reverend Susan Smith and I uh, inherited, well, she inherited Dwight Brown Leadership Experience. And she and I had just finished a program, an emerging congregation program in, in Florida. So we had been working together for several, several years. And um, uh, all of the staff, there was a huge turnover around this leadership experience. And she asked the, the people who were helping to run it if she could ask me to come in and, and, and help with it. And so I came in and I worked with her and them on, the, on, on it. And the first year... That we did is, I, I apparently said these three, three things. Um, I didn't remember saying them, but one of the young people, one of the, and actually she's on staff now, her name is Natalie Briscoe, she heard me say this, and she was on staff the following year, 
And towards the end of the leadership experience, which is a five-day experience, she came up to me and she said, are you going to say what you said last year? And, of course, it's the fifth day, and I pretty pretty much exhausted everything I had to say. And I said, oh, my God, haven't I already said it? And she said, no, you haven't said it. I said, well, what was it? And, and she said these three things back to me that were my, she says, are my quotes. And they are. Faith development is all we do. Unitarian Universalism is the faith that we teach, and the congregation is the curriculum. Nice. Like it. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks, Connie. I, I appreciate you being with us and you gave us a wealth of information. Um, and uh, I wish you luck and, and progress in everything that you're doing. Thank you, Sharon. It's been delightful. Yes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And you can find all the show notes at uuperspective.com, episode number 19. And thanks to all of those listening. Special shout-outs to especially our Twitter followers. Um, a few of those, uh, Sirius Daffodil, uh, Emerson Avenger, and Sunshine Wolf, and Relentlessly UU, and Susan Katz Miller, author of Being Both, and Christian Bosholt. So thanks so much for your support. And we'll see you next time on the UU Perspective Podcast. Thank you.